Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you are new to the podcast, please check out episode one, as that kind of gives the history of Story Night and what we're doing here. In short, this is a podcast where real women share their real stories of real hope. And today we have a guest who I met many, many years ago. In fact, we were just laughing that we could kind of barely remember how we even got connected in the first place. But as much as social media has its downside, it definitely has an upside and it has kept us connected over all these years. And I get to welcome my friend Allie to the podcast. So Allie, welcome. And would you please give us a quick introduction to yourself? Yes. Hi, Jessica. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It is such a treat to reconnect with you after a lot of years, like you said. And so thank you just for the honor of sharing on the podcast today. So yeah, my name is Allie and I live in North Santa Barbara County in a valley called the Santinas Valley. It's kind of like wine country by the beach. So it's a pretty special place. And I live with my husband, Paul, and our golden retriever, Gidget, who just had her first birthday yesterday. And I am the founder and director of Wonderfully Made, and we are a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. And we're really dedicated to helping young women know their God-given value and live spiritually and emotionally healthy lives. And so... Yeah, through that role, I've directed about 10 young women's conferences in California and Hawaii for about 10,000 girls and women. I I also host a podcast like you, Jessica, just called the Wonderfully Made Podcast and get to produce short films and written a couple of Bible studies all to encourage young women. And I also do a little photography on the side that I started a couple of years ago. And my husband and I are both big surfers. And so we're at the beach a lot. And we have the privilege of mentoring a lot of young people in our community, my husband especially. One fun thing is I'm currently working on training Gidget to be a certified therapy dog. And I'm excited to take her more places so she can spread her joy (laughs) to people who need a little extra comfort and cuddles. So I'm very close with my family and I love spending time with them as well as my friends. So that's just a little bit about me. Oh my gosh, I love the Gidget part. (laughs) We've always talked about getting Charlie, our dog, certified. But uh, when I did the research and saw that they have to not be upset by loud noises, we knew he wouldn't qualify. So he's our unofficial therapy dog. We've actually loaned him out to many people (laughs) who have been going through things. And they they sort of borrow Charlie for for that reason. And I can imagine that many people are very happy that they've got their fur babies uh, during this pandemic time. I mean, at the time of this recording, things are starting to open up. But I just wanted to ask you how you've been personally with sort of the new normal that we're under. Any big challenges or surprise blessings in the middle of it? 
Yeah, you know, I've actually been doing okay, pretty good, actually. The big thing that changed for us was just my husband's job. He's only been able to work a few hours a week because he's the recreation director for our cities. So everything with the kids and the community, all that kind of stops. So, you know, he's been cleaning gum off bleachers and that sort of thing. But the good news is camp is actually starting next week. And so he's hopeful and he has a, a new project, a bicycle skills project in the park to work on. So we're really grateful for that. You know, I've just been really sad over the state of our country and the injustice and the unrest and everything going on. And, you know, so I've just been praying a lot, lamenting a lot and kind of just trying to see what my response is and really like focus on what I can control and like what's in front of me. And I definitely, for me, that means really limiting my intake of media and taking a break from social media really for a while. So, but we have a lot to be grateful for and um, we're doing well. Thank you for asking. You know, I can't help but wonder how things could be different with everything, whether it's a junior high issue or a global issue or family issue. If we stopped and looked at somebody and said, tell me your story. I want to know your story and not just not just what I'm seeing on the surface, but tell me your story. I want to know you. And that's kind of what we're doing here. <laughs> that's, that's one of the great purposes behind this podcast is just kind of looking behind the curtain and really unveiling our lives and our stories. And I'm so grateful that you're here to do that right now. I know there are parts of your story that will be very relevant to many listeners right now. So I would just like to invite you to dive in and tell us your story. Sure. Well, Jessica, thank you again for the opportunity to share. Sometimes we just need to be invited and asked to share our story. So it is a reminder to me to ask more women in my life, their stories and their journeys. And, you know, it's been, I was telling you earlier, it's been a while since I've really shared my full story from start to current day. You know, I've gotten comfortable sharing bits and pieces of it, but I feel like this is a safe place to share. And so I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be real and I'm going to be honest and hopefully I can get through it. So, so yeah, I'll just, you know, start at the beginning. I grew up in the East foothills of Silicon Valley in San Jose, California. And I was a really good girl from a really good home with loving parents. And I always say that I had this freckle face that would turn tomato red after my soccer games. And I was a tomboy who had missing front teeth, but I still love to play dress up in my mom's high heels and pearls. And I was like constantly sweaty from hours of climbing trees or swimming or doing back handsprings and playing with my dog. And I was just always dirty and sweaty, basically, <laughs> and red in the face. And um, sports was where I got my confidence from. As a girl, I was pretty confident and pretty feisty, but things really began to shift and change around the age of 12. My girlhood feistiness and confidence began to fade, and I experienced these uninvited and unexplained 
feelings of loneliness and of unworthiness. You know, I had everything that a young girl could want, but I was really sad and I, I felt so lonely and unworthy, even though I had a loving family. I started my all girls high school. Yes, I went to an all girls school. We wore plaid skirts <laughs> and there was an all boys school not that far away. My brother actually went to, and you know, I had big dreams for high school. You know, I, I thought this was my chance to just finally be happy and chase my dreams. And so, you know, I wanted to be captain of a soccer team and I wanted to win the senior athlete award and I wanted a popular boyfriend with a nice Mustang. And, you know, I, I like wanted all these things that I, I just put, you know, painted a picture in my mind that I thought would give me happiness and, you know, receive a full ride scholarship to top university. And so I got you know, through high school, I excelled in sports and in school, but it was really tough for me. Every day was a battle to get through it. Just, just mentally, I was plagued by inferiority. I had the loudest self-critic you could ever imagine. I never in my mind could do anything right, anything good enough. I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't have that confident, boisterous personality. I couldn't flirt with boys. I was just, I was just not, not good enough. I was plagued by inferiority. And so, but on the outside, it looked like, you know, I had it together, but I was really falling apart at the seams. And so I worked so hard to keep myself together every day. And I devoured self-help books and I would write motivational quotes on the mirror in my bedroom and I would memorize them and I would say them to myself over and over again. I tried hard to make myself be happy. And looking back, I now know that I was struggling with clinical depression. And so two weeks after I graduated, summa cum laude from high school, my world shattered. I found myself so sick and so depressed that I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't talk. And these grave hormonal and physiological imbalances that were really combined with the stress of graduating and going to college and becoming an adult just really catapulted me into the darkest place I had ever been. And I remember my mom saying, we're going to take you to the hospital. And I remember packing my bag and thinking I would never be outside again, that I was just going to be completely locked away for the rest of my life. And I didn't understand where I was going. And so, you know, I really did want to end my life. So at 18, I was admitted to the behavioral health partition of the hospital. And I stayed there for a few days. I was put on antidepressants, put in outpatient program at the hospital. And I would go home and I would soothe my sadness with, gosh, just unending amounts of butter toast. And I would just like curl up on my bed. And I just could not function. One day I grabbed the car keys 
And we lived in San Jose, which was where we were about a 45 minute drive from San Francisco. And I decided I needed to put an end to the pain. I got in my car and I drove in search of the Golden Gate Bridge with the plan to jump and to end my life. And, you know, thank God there weren't iPhones with detailed directions and I had gotten lost. I could kind of see the bridge in the distance. And I ended up turning and I hit my tire on a curb and I got a flat tire. And the kindest man came up to me and he helped me and he called AAA for me. And I actually had what almost seemed like a normal conversation for the first time in weeks and weeks. And AAA came and fixed my tire and I went home with just a little hope in my heart. That fall, I had attempted to start college on the East Coast. One of the counselors really gave my parents poor advice that and said, you know, she really needs to get on with her life. She really needs to go to college. And so I flew three, I don't know, 3,000 miles away to the East Coast to college. And I was so fragile and I was so overwhelmed. And I was so overwhelmed, I stopped taking my medication. And I found myself in an even more terrifying place mentally, not really knowing what was really even true or not. My dad had to fly back and get me, and I was hospitalized back home again and placed on more medication. And within a few months, I had gained a ton of weight. And it was because of the brokenness that I experienced that I really came to the end of myself and to the beginning of a personal relationship with God. As a little girl, I had always believed in God. You know, I saw creation and I saw the beauty and the majesty of creation, of fireflies and mangy oak trees and shooting stars. And I would pray to God in the quietness of my own tiny thoughts and at nighttime prayers and before dinner. But God was so like still foreign and mysterious and distant to me. And I didn't know you could have like a friendship or like a relationship with God. And I didn't know what that looked like because I was in such a desperate place. My Christians in my parents' lives began praying for me. And I remember one man specifically wrote the most beautiful prayer for me. And I still have that prayer to this day. I was so desperate for hope. And I asked for a Bible when I was still in the hospital that fall. That was my second hospitalization. And I began to read it on my own for the first time in my life. As I read the Gospels, I discovered that Jesus love the broken and that he came to rescue them. And I was as broken as a girl could be. And so it was there in the hospital as my life was in complete shambles. While everything I had placed my value in from being a good athlete, getting good grades, to having popular friends, like to looking a certain way, all those things were really taken from me. And 
I was free to discover my true identity as God's loved daughter. So I whispered a prayer and I surrendered my heart and my life to Jesus. And I promised to serve him however he would call me to. And I felt immediately called to help young women, my peers who were struggling with similar challenges such as me and didn't know God's love for them. You know, I had so many friends who were in the throes of an eating disorder who were addicted to drug and alcohol or had drug and alcohol issues who were being super promiscuous or in abusive relationships. And I saw this theme is that like, we didn't know our value because we didn't know or believe or understand God's love for us. And so, you know, my life, like it had not turned out (laughs) the way that I once envisioned it would. I was totally jaded and broken and my life was in shattered pieces all around me. But With time, God began to pick up those pieces and mend me back together. And I wasn't the same girl because my brokenness had shaped me. And the beauty of being broken is it can replace your self-preoccupation with depth and beauty that was not present before. And I just had more empathy and compassion. And I suddenly, like, I just, like, had this longing to live a life bigger than myself. And so as God began to heal my heart, he gave me compassion for those in need of his love and hope, especially, like I said, like young women. And so after I was discharged from that hospital, I actually transitioned to a group home. Here I was a scholar athlete, you know, in and out of the hospital, now living in a group home with men and women of all ages struggling, who were struggling with mental health struggles such as depression or bipolar disorder or OCD or schizophrenia. The group home was near Stanford University and I didn't have a car. So I would ride my bike every week to Stanford University where my church's college group would, would meet. And I would worship amongst these scholar athletes and our country's brightest and most put together students. And it was there. Like I just, I just heard about a God who loved the broken and had a plan and this message of hope. And I just, I just kept coming back. You know, I thought that once I found God, that I was never going to struggle again with these mental health challenges. You know, I thought I found my cure. I gave my life to Jesus and he's just going to fix this depression, this mental health struggle. I'm never going to struggle again. I think, I think that is what I believed in my faith, but I think I, I missed or never really read Jesus' words where he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I had trouble again. You know, I got back on my feet. I I ended up transferring. I went to Pepperdine University. I was going to play college soccer. Wasn't quite in the shape that I had been in high school after getting laid and not playing. And so I didn't quite make the cut. Um, So my plans there changed. But my sophomore year... I went on a spring break trip to Panama, Central America, to work with indigenous tribes and orphanages. It was over spring break, and we would do like service trips throughout the country. 
And it was a beautiful trip. I mean, I got to hike through the jungles with this young tribal girl and talk to her in Spanish with crocodiles going through the rivers and anyways, and like working with these kids and orphanages, but I was still really struggling. The depression was still kind of there. On the first day, we went to this church on the Panama Canal and I walked in and I, my eyes immediately went to this tall blonde guy in the front. I was just surprised to see him there and, you know, I thought he was cute, but I, after the service, I tried to play hard to get while my friends flirted with him and his friends. Cause like I told you, I could never flirt before. So I could never figure that out. So, um, so we talked for a little bit and he kind of lied and told me he surfed Malibu all the time. And I told him I surfed too, but I could hardly stand up on my board. And he began to visit me, but I had my guard up and I definitely wouldn't let him in. So that summer I was working as an intern in downtown LA at E Entertainment. And I was also a hostess at Duke's restaurant on PCH. And with each passing day, it was getting harder and harder to just get through. I felt because my severe depression had returned again, I felt, I felt abandoned. And like the one thing I put my hope in had failed me. You know, like I said, I thought I would never struggle again. And this is really hard to share. And I don't share this a lot, but I think it's important because I know this is an experience many women have gone through and many young girls can be in this place where they feel like this is the only option. But at the age of 21, I tried to take my own life. But by the grace of God, my life was miraculously spared. And it was a really long road to recovery. And I was able to get professional help. And the depression began to lift. And I really began to thrive. I wasn't experiencing depression anymore. I was thriving in my relationships, just in my life overall. One night at college group, I was up at back in the Bay Area. I had had to withdraw from Pepperdine and finish college at Santa Clara University near where my parents lived so I could just have proper treatment. And I was at college group one night and the message, uh, the message was on joy. And this guy who I met in Panama, Paul, his face kept coming to mind. And I felt like he was one of the most joyful people I had ever met. And we had not talked in much through my struggle. And I was driving home from college group and I was pretty upset with myself for not letting him in. And I was sad that I would probably never talk to him again because I certainly wasn't going to call him. (laughs) And meanwhile, as I was driving home, he was with his friend who asked him, Hey, Paul, like whatever happened to that girl, Allie, you really liked her. And he was like, Oh, bro. Like she, she totally barred me. Like she does not like me. He's like, well, you really like her. You should give her a call. Like, just call her one more time. And so as I was driving home thinking about him, he called. And of course, I was like super nice to him. <laughs> like, we completely like disconnected. And that weekend, my friends and I had a road trip planned in Southern California. So we stopped at his place and we went canoeing on the ocean. And he brought his big boom box with like country music blasting. And we like rode beach cruisers and he had his cowboy hat on. And I was like, this is fun. <laughs> this guy's really fun. And anyways, he stole a kiss from me. And that was 
that was the start of it. And we've, we've been together ever since. And we got married about three years after that. Anyways, after we got married, you know, I, I was still really thriving and just really doing well, not struggling with depression, just in a good place. You know, I even, I kind of overskipped this part, but when I was about 18, I started reading Psalm 139 one day in my bedroom and I came across these verses in this Psalm and it just really connected with me. And especially verse 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully meaning lovingly or wonderfully made. And I felt like I had been waiting to hear that in my life, that I mattered to God, my life had worth, and that my life was to praise God. And I had always, even in high school, felt this passion to help girls and help young women with the challenges and the struggles that many go through with self-worth, with identity, with mental health, with relationships. And so I ended up in college, putting up posters for a group for women to meet. And about three women responded. Within a few years, we had about 40 college girls coming together and we would do Bible studies together and do events and spread to other campuses. And we called it Wonderfully Made, spread to Point Loma and Pepperdine and Westmont. And, and then in 2009, we did our first ever Wonderfully Made conference at a church in Santa Barbara. And I've pretty much dedicated my life to this ministry since. So we became a 501c3 nonprofit in 2011. And then in 2012, I traveled internationally to the Holy Land. And after the first week, I stopped sleeping. And because of that, I got in a really hard place mentally. It really put me on a like kind of like a setback in a way. I just wasn't myself. I was really struggling with depression again. And, and so it took many, many years for me to recover from that. And then I traveled another time and I had another setback. And so it's been about three, four years now that I feel like I am in a really great place. And in a place of wholeness and health. And I just feel like God has really restored me. And though I've had many setbacks in my journey and many times of struggle, I know that God has been with me through it all. And I remember my mentor telling me, God never wastes anything in our lives when we surrender it to Him. And I feel like as hard as these trials and these struggles have been, there have been good gifts in those places. And um, there's this verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I just feel like God has been faithful to restore restore me after each time that I've struggled. And my journey has not been an easy one. And I, I believe it's ultimately in heaven that we are fully restored, but yet I feel like God has truly restored, strengthened, and established me. This is a beautiful, but it's a very broken world where we experience loss and heartache and illness and suffering. But that doesn't mean that God isn't good. I have grace with myself and 
I understand now that my mental health struggles are not my fault. And I'm so grateful for my Christian psychiatrist and the way God has used medication to restore me and help me live my best life. And, you know, I really see our mental health like an onion with many, many layers. There's the physiological layers, circumstantial, spiritual, emotional, relational, hormonal, environmental, and lifestyle. That really includes like stress and sleep and diet and exercise. And when even just one of these parts of our lives is off, it can really affect our mental health. And I've learned how important it is for me and for us to really identify the root cause or causes and tend to each layer respectively with prayer, wise choices, family support, and professional help when needed. You know, I pray often for God's mercy over my health and that I will be able to successfully manage my health condition with his help for the rest of my life. You know, I really don't want to have any more setbacks. I'm like, God, I'm done. I don't want to struggle again. But yet I know that God will be with me no matter what, even if I do struggle again and that he's still faithful and good. Well, I have really shared a lot of my hardest struggles with you. My life really has been so beautiful and it's been meaningful and rich and fun. And I get to lead an incredible life. I am married to an amazing man who brings me so much joy and laughter every day. I have an incredible loving family. I have a calling that gives me purpose every day and I'm living my dreams. You know, I get to surf a couple times a week and do the things that make me come alive. And I have rich friendships and I never could have imagined the good gifts God had waiting for me on the other side of my darkness. That like, and I think back to that day that I was packing that suitcase to go to the hospital. If you, if you would have told me the good gifts God had in store for me, I wouldn't have believed you, but, but yet he has. And I don't necessarily like identify with the term of having a mental illness because for the majority of my life, I have been really well. And I refuse to be defined by a diagnosis or by my struggle. And I am a daughter, I'm a wife, sister, friend, nonprofit founder and director, author, speaker, surfer. I'm a mentor, a writer, an aunt, a photographer, podcaster, an athlete. My struggles are a part of my story, but they are not who I am. I'm a whole person and I feel like I'm dearly loved by God. My life has truly been redeemed by him. And so, yeah, so that's just my story. I'm, I really do believe that my struggles have been one of the greatest gifts in my life because they have led me to the end of myself and into a personal relationship with God, who is my source of life and hope. And I am not ashamed of my past because I know my trials don't define me, but I know that God's love for me is what defines me. It is. And I am just so grateful that you opened up a very 
vulnerable and raw story because you are not the only one. And there are so many, so many women that are going through the same things or have gone through the same things in their past and how much we all need to be reminded that we are not alone and we need that me too moment. And there were, I mean, there were so many parts of your story. I could just go back and treat each of them like a hyperlink and go, wait, let's let, tell me more about that. And I want to dive in deeper here and understand this better. But with the time we have left, I was hoping that, that you would actually speak to two different groups of people. Usually we ask our speakers to share some words of hope and encouragement for the listeners who really identify with their story. So asking you to speak to the women out there who have struggled or who are currently struggling with any kind of mental illness. But in this case, I think it's also really helpful and important for you to speak to the women who don't get it, the ones who don't understand, the ones who have someone in their life going through this, and they have no idea how to help. They don't know how to be supportive. They don't know what to say or what not to say. Because, I mean, in all honesty, there are a lot of us that are surrounded by people going through this, and we don't know because it's it's kind of invisible sometimes. So I would just welcome you to touch on that for both the women who are nodding, going, yes, I get it, me too, this is my life, you understand me, and the women who are listening going, I've never experienced this, but how can I be that person that helped you with the flat tire? How can I be that person that sends my loved one off with a little bit of hope? It's mm -hmm. a really great question. First, I'll speak to the women who maybe in some way, whether large or small, can identify with my story. I would say first that your struggle is not your identity. It's not who you are. Uh, you're not your hangups. You're not your shortcomings, your breakdowns, or your brokenness. I love the words of Brennan Manning when he says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is a true self. Every other identity is an illusion. And I would also say that there's no hopeless case for Christ. And God still restores and redeems and doesn't waste the pain in our lives. Gosh, there's so much more I would say, but I want to encourage anyone who is struggling to the point where it's really debilitating to seek professional help, to see a counselor, to see a psychiatrist, to see if medication could be something that helps you. It doesn't mean that everyone who struggles with a mental health issue needs to be on medication, but it can be helpful. And so I would say, don't be ashamed, reach out. Like you have to reach out and tell someone that you really are struggling. You know, I know they say, take it one day at a time, but I know one day can be even very overwhelming. So I'd say take it one breath at a time. Cry out, cry out, cry out to God. Be honest with your emotions, with your sadness, with your fear. Surround yourself with hope. Stories of other people who have walked through what you've walked through. Because one of the biggest lies about mental health struggles is that you're the only one. 
Well, we know that's not true. I mean, the statistics tell us that I think like one in four will have a mental health condition. I could be wrong on the exact statistics, but so that I would say that. And then to the person who may not necessarily understand, I totally get it because Jessica, like you're saying, it is kind of like this invisible struggle and we don't see the physicality of what is going on in someone's brain and their and then I would, I would just seek first to understand and to educate yourself. I know when I was going through it, my parents didn't understand. And once they started reading about clinical depression, they understood that this isn't something I could just, you know, pick my bootstrap myself up by the bootstraps and like get on. Like this is something that is beyond myself. Like, I needed help. I needed, I had a broken brain. And so it's, it wasn't a matter of effort because I had always been a girl who gave a great effort and who tried really hard, but I couldn't will myself out of that. And so your loved one, you have to have that same compassion is, you know, maybe they've made choices in their life out of their free will that have not benefited them. And maybe, maybe it's put them into a difficult spot, but you know, maybe there's other things that just really are out of their control and to have grace and understanding and compassion, I would say to be with them because um, to physically be with them, especially anyone you suspect is seriously depressed. Like, you know, I would say don't leave them alone. I would try to get them treatment. I mean, it depends. I know I know people are all across the board and maybe the women I'm speaking to, their loved ones have people in just different situations, but be with them, seek to educate yourself and pray for them and support them with trying to get professional help. I love what you said about educate yourself. I just, it reminded me of something that unrelated to this, but just something that I was going through that felt kind of felt like no one understood. And somebody took the time to just Google something and and look it up and, and research it and then reached out to me afterwards saying, oh my gosh, I just learned all this about this situation. And that meant so much. Like, oh my gosh, you took time out of your day to educate yourself on on a situation that I'm going through that you didn't understand previously. It was, it was very meaningful. I think when people take the time to listen, to know your story, to hear you, not offering any judgment, not bringing unsolicited advice, just just listening. Yeah, listening and learning. Really <laughs> yeah, that's really good. So, well, Allie, thank you again for your time, for your vulnerability, and for being willing to be a voice. You are definitely not wasting your suffering. And I know a lot of women have been very blessed and had their lives changed by by all that you're doing. And I imagine they will just by listening to your story as well. So in closing, would you mind praying for our listeners? I would be so honored to. Thank you. Lord, I pray that each woman listening will be rooted and established in your love, that her struggles will not be her identity. I pray that she will define herself as radically loved by you, God. I pray for mercy and for healing and breakthrough in her life as she surrenders her whole self to you. 
I ask that you draw near to her as she draws near to you and that you will redeem even the most broken parts of her life for your glory and for your good. Give her eyes beyond herself and put her in her a passion to love and serve those around her and do a new thing in her life. Amen. Amen. And if anyone listening needs anything at all, we are here. And I've said it before, you do not have to be part of the Calvary Mac family or live in Oregon to reach out to us or get connected. I'm here. My team's here. I know the speakers are here for you as well. So with that, I hope that this touched you and I hope you'll join us next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.